0: Alright guys, what's going on? Welcome to, uh, welcome to fucking, welcome to Jamrock. Get my mics and audio adjusted. Well, okay, uh, it's Friday and I wanted to, uh, kick it off by talking about some good stuff, which is major loss and grief and trauma. I think a lot of people sometimes are defined by major losses that they have. Not that their whole... I don't want to say that that those situations they were in define their whole lives, but they're they're watershed moments. So, um, everybody thinks that they know someone that's passed, but you know when it actually really happens. And I say that because I'm coming from a you know background of substance abuse and it's like everybody's got a friend and you know their friends' cousins died or their half, their roommate halfway passed away. Um, and they think they know. And then there's the people that really know. Um, listen, I've known tons of people that I've broken bread with people I've had in my homes, people I've, you know, been in cars with, went out to dinners with that have passed away and and died from various terrible reasons. But I've only had about three or four that really, like, happened to me and, and, and hit close to home. And I think that's more than a lot of other people. Um, It kind of comes from, you know, the people that I associate with, my friends and, you know, people in my family. And the first one that I always think about that really gave me an understanding of of loss and the process of death and, and how horrible it can be was a man named Dennis Fitzgerald. So, flashback... I'm young, dumb, and I just got out of a, uh, a halfway house, and I moved in with a buddy, great friend of mine, and his. What you would call grand sponsor owned the house, so it was basically a house of guys that you know we were all you know living in recovery, you know, not using, not using drugs or alcohol, and just trying to get our shit together. And it was a really amazing, safe, and supportive environment where I created a lot of strong bonds, and it was like my first room that I ever had, and a lot of firsts uh, in that house. And it was, it was an amazing thing. That's where I was living there when I met my wife. I mean, it is just, it's it's where I was at. Um, you know, I look back at it, and it's like I was a kid, I was at home, never really had a chance the opportunity that made sense to go away to college. I went to just a local college. I still lived at home. Then I went to treatment, then I went to Halfway. And, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old, and boom, this is my first time ever having like uh, something close to like an apartment, you know? And it was like a cool little frat house thing. And we're all kind of the same age. And then, you know, we knew about this guy from the local 12-step community, Dennis, and he was fucking awesome. Well, one day, the owner of the house came to us, and he was like, you know, hey, I want to – got a room open, and Dennis is trying to get out of his halfway, and he wants to, you know, get a room. So how do you you think about him moving in? And we all kind of went and hung out with him and see if it clicked, and and it did. And it was crazy because Dennis, like, he could fit so many pieces to people's pie, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was old, right? This guy was like 60, and he looked old, and he had dentures, and he was like a fucking ball buster. I mean, absolutely ruthless. Some would some would call him a bully. Uh, you know, if you had tougher skin, you would say that he was just ruthless. You know, would make fun of you about anything, doesn't matter. And uh, that's why a lot of people loved him. He was from Ohio. And me and him clicked right away because of grappling and wrestling, and, and his family was involved in wrestling, and, and we were always able to talk a lot about that. And that's where me and him, like, clicked it off right away. So, you know, me and my, my friends and, and Dennis, we all lived in this house together for a long time, almost a year. And everything was just great. You know, we'd fuck off and just go to the movies and go out to dinner and he would, you know. And then sometimes he'd be like a dad, you know, like, like the fatherly uncle figure, you know. And he'd give you life lessons about shit, about fucking... I remember one time we were asking about, like... like We were asking about, like, herpes or something, you know, and he was like, let me tell you something. He's like, in the 70s, everyone was on coke. Everyone was exchanging fluids. He's like, you think herpes was a thing? It wasn't. Nobody gave a shit. (laughs) And he was always, he was always hanging out with, like, hot chicks, right? And we are like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, nah, man, I look at her like a daughter. I'm like, yeah, well, she's not ugly. You know, you don't have any daughter figures running around here that are fucking 500 pounds, brother. We know what you're doing. Oh, man. And, like, I think for some way, he would always, like, hang out with these girls that were, like, 31, you know. And we're like, dude, it's not going to work out. He's like, no, no, I just thought, she's nice. It's like, dude, she ain't going to, she's not going to fuck you. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But that was always a common thing we'd always rip on each other about. And um, one time I went through his phone and I looked up uh, his porn search. This motherfucker searched... Homeless. <laughs> I mean... Savage, dude. Savage. And... Uh, and he was working and stuff. And then, man, what happened was this. He got in this car accident, right? With a couple other friends. And everyone knew that everyone was going to sue. And he had some back problems and x-rays and all, all this stuff. He knew he was going to a big paycheck. And... I don't know when it was when Dennis checked out, right? Um, but the way this guy, the things he would say and with the way things played out, it would make a lot of sense, right? Like we were joking about, you know, what would you do for this? What would you do for that? And we were like, you know, to get a horrible disease where you're dead in five years, but you get, you know, 20 grand, would you do it? And he was like, fuck yeah, I would. And we were like, what do you want, dude? And then, you know, I think he tried to bring realism to his situation. He'd be like, listen, guys, even though I'm, you know, a year, 18 months, two years clean, he's like, I'm fucked. You know, I try to send all my money to to my daughters. And I don't have any pension, 401K, nothing. I've been in and out of prison. I haven't paid taxes in 15 years, like... You know, he's like, that's why when I get money, I just spend it. And we just try to have fun. He's like, but I'm, I'm fucked. He's like, and being clean is just better than <clears throat> the alternative, which is, you know, living like a crackhead. And he had done all that. I mean, he had been like a ruthless, homeless crackhead and had done, the you know, all the family damage and been living in bandos and all that shit. You know? One time one time he asked for a bite of my lasagna he asked me to split my lasagna with him, I said no. So he asked for a bite. So I slide him over the plate and he fucking spits his dentures up on the plate. I knew what he was doing. Motherfucker. So I gave him the whole thing. He said he did life on the installment plan. Meaning he would do three years, get out, do two years, get out. So he just said, he's like, Man, I was kinda I'm fucked. He said, I'll kill myself right now for ten grand was always joking, man, he's a funny guy. And uh, he uh, got this big check and then he quit his job. And he just stopped working. And then he would just like sleep all day. And, uh, and then he went up north or something, and he came back and he told us that while he was up there that he got a hooker and You know, when you're like 60, 63, and you're an ex-crackhead, see, getting a hooker isn't about, like, sex, right? It's about partying, right? You get a fucking crackhead hooker, and you guys hole up in a hotel motel all night, and you fucking party all night, you know? And so when I heard that, I was like, dude, listen, there's no, what are you telling me, you popped some Cialis and had a, you know a one hour session with a hot like no way dude so right then and there i was like oh man like this isn't good and shortly after he went missing he was gone he was gone for days and we were all like trying to figure out what the hell's going on and at some point he turned up and uh he had gotten a hooker now i'll tell you this is all taking place in south florida and basically, the story was uh, he'd gotten a hooker, and he'd been partying for four or five days, and he overdosed, and all this crazy stuff, and he was in the hospital, but he was okay. Like he didn't, he didn't die. Um, so we went to go see him in the hospital, and he was like, or he just looked fucking terrible, you know, mind you, he already looked terrible to begin with, but he looked way worse. And uh, and then this started the whole thing. So, for like a couple days, he's in the hospital, right? And then we get him out, and then we get him into a treatment center. He gets out of treatment, and then we get him back into a halfway house. And now, mind you, I haven't seen him. So, it goes, a month's gone by, and then I see him, and he comes over, and his stomach is, like, blown out and distended. Like, a huge balloon is blown up in it. And fucking... And he's got, like, Band-Aids and shit all over him. And basically his story was that while he was getting high with the hooker and shooting up and doing drugs, he'd gotten all these abscesses. And he got sepsis in his blood, and it had, like, fucked him all up. And so he's over our old house, my house up that I'm living at, and we're chopping it up. And I'm like, dude, you don't fucking look so good, brother, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I fucking feel like shit. He's like, I got to go to the hospital once a week and get all this fluid drained out of my off my stomach and then our friend came and I was like where are you guys going he's like well we're going to the casino and I'm like dude you fucking nut job <laughs> like you're a psycho and he's like yeah you want to come and I'm like no man I'm broke but uh all power to you and he walks out and I'm just like dude this guy's like not well I, I don't see how this is you know how this, how's he walking basically <clears throat> is what I'm thinking. so every week he needs to go to the hospital and get his stomach drained and one week you know a couple month or two only after he goes to the hospital and he gets his stomach drained and 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 he never left and we all started visiting him and he just got uh, progressively worse. And his kidneys gave out. And, uh, he was starting to have to do dialysis and all this stuff. And, um, then he went blind. <clears throat> Something with his kidneys, whatever, I don't fucking know, but he went blind. So we'd go and, and, and he'd be fucking blind and, you know, oh, who's that? Hey, Colt, And, uh... And this was at the Delray Medical Center in South Florida. And then it was getting to the point where, you know, he was in intensive care and and he wasn't getting any better. And and there was no, like, next of kin that were going to come and, like, take care of him or help him out or do anything. He always talked about his daughters and and I only had one one interaction with them. But I, I didn't, you know, I think this had been an ongoing thing for them their whole lives, you know. And they weren't coming to, like, save the day. And I think there were a lot of times where maybe Dennis should have been there to save the day for them, and he wasn't there, you know? So, as these things play out with elderly people who don't have money, they tell us that they're moving them to this different hospital, to hospice. And it's this, like, shitty hospital. And it's got shittier employees that don't fucking speak English. English. So, by the time he gets to this hospital, it's now at the point where Dennis is going basically, like, senile. He's, he's, the same thing that they all say, and I don't know if it's true or not, but what's up with the fucking people at the hospital saying that they're getting beat? He's like, come here, like, Cole, Cole, come here close. He's like, they're fucking beating me, and they're. They're not giving me my Dilaudid, and they're doing this, and they're fucking pinching me. And look at me, bru- I know I have bruises, just saying all this shit. And he was just getting worse and worse. And then he started, like, lashing out and trying to, like, fucking grab you and punch you. And then he stopped moving. I remember we went, and he was just laying there with his fucking mouth open. And his head tilted back. <clears throat> And there was, like, this noise coming out of his mouth, but it wasn't his voice. And it was, like, his insides. You could hear him, like, groaning. And basically the nurse said that when you start hearing that is when they're going to die soon. And then shortly after that he passed away. And Dennis used to say that when it comes time to pass away doesn't matter whether you're surrounded by a million people or one person we all die alone. And that is the case for Dennis Fitzgerald. You know, we were all there but in the end he Passed away alone. And this was my first time really understanding that someone could die and pass away from addiction, but not from an overdose. You know, everything I just told you, this this played out over like six months, you know. It was like a long process of death. With glimmers of hope in between that made it seemingly so much worse. And I don't mean to like trigger anybody But I just do this for me. And speaking about Dennis is a large part of my story because that was my first time really like just seeing how the tides can just change. One day someone's there and then, you know, they're not. One day they're okay and then they're not. And you're like, what the fuck, you know? And it's ugly. And I just don't want to fucking ever go out like that, you know? And I just want to be surrounded by people and family and stuff like that when I go. But it's up to me, right? You know, we all have a certain responsibility to do our part and to make sure that we want to be, you know, people want to surround us and and, and be there for us and uh, if there's bridges that we've burned or you know whatever we need to make amends and and, you know right those wrongs and uh, I think Dennis always figured it was kind of just too late for him but what he didn't realize is you know the horrible shit he just put people through with them having to like see that you know and it sucks the whole thing sucks and it doesn't end you know there's more there's more people but I'm here and I love everyone else that's here and this thing that we have is like so precious and I'm curious what I really would give to you know spend just one day with someone like that You know, really, if the opportunity was presented to me, you know, if someone could put a monetary thing on it, what would I actually give? You know, would I give up my whole fucking house and everything I have to see Dennis Fitzgerald one more time? No. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. But I would give something, and I'll have to think about that. These are those crazy fucking scenarios in the battlefield I play in my head where I got 10 grand left in my name and someone's asking me, for 10 grand, we'll let you fucking smell his hair one more time. And I'm just like, oh man, come on. Yeah, that's what I do up in my brain. But listen, guys, call your mom, call your dad, call your best friend, call your girlfriend, call your wife, call your husband. Do something. Do something reach out and just let them know that you love them and that you're thinking about them and that you are glad you guys have a kinship and or friendship so with that i'm coming up in about 20 minutes i know i'm gonna get boring soon uh welcome to jamrock well such a good song peace out